Onyx Hunt is our go-to solution for anything mapping related, whether we're at the house or in the field, whether we're using the tracking feature in order to kind of figure out exactly where we're going in and out of the woods, to also implementing the new cell camera feature where you can actually link your different cell cameras that you may have from different brands and be able to get all those photos sent directly through the Onyx app where you can actually see them on your maps and be able to go through all your photos right there in one place. You can use the promo code SOUTHERN at checkout and save 20% on your Onyx Onyx membership. Onyx has been extremely helpful for us the last six years, and I'm sure it'll be helpful for you. So know where you stand with Onyx. Look, y'all know the drill. Good optics are a must, whether you're running a red dot sight on your turkey gun or you're running some binos this turkey season, or if you're shopping for a new rifle scope. Vortex Optics needs to be the first place you look. They got something for everybody, whether you're wanting to get some entry-level glass or if you're wanting top-of-the-line glass and really good stuff, they got that too. They also have an unbeatable VIP warranty. If something happens to your Vortex Optic, you can send it in. They will fix it or replace it. Best warranty in the business, bar none. Head on over to MidwayUSA.com and use the promo code SOUTHERN to get a discount on your order of any Vortex product. Again, that's MidwayUSA.com. Go use that promo code SOUTHERN. It'll get you a discount and it helps out the show. This episode is brought to you by Hyperice, the leader in advanced warm-up and recovery technology. They have tons of innovative products like Venom heated wearables to help soothe sore back muscles, Normatec compression boots to speed up recovery and increase circulation, and Hypervolt massage guns to improve mobility. Loved by athletes like Naomi Osaka and Erling Holland. Try them yourself. Get 10% off your order with the code MOVE at hyperrice.com. This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. Meadow Creek Mounts is your go-to mounting option for red dots on your turkey shotgun. And one of my favorite features about this mount is you don't have to drill and tap your shotgun in order to mount a red dot onto your shotgun. I personally have used this mount the last two seasons and it's worked extremely well for me. One thing I personally like about it is because it's so low onto the barrel when it mounts to the rib of your shotgun, it allows for a very natural head positioning when shouldering your gun. Also an advantage of using a red dot compared to maybe just a traditional bead on your shotgun is you get a much more clear view of the turkey and you're able to kind of see what else is around there and making sure you're perfectly on that bird. Now if you're interested in giving Meadow Creek Mounts a try you can go over to the website meadowcreekmounts.com and use the code southern at checkout to be able to save 10% on your order. What's up, everybody? Welcome to another episode of the Southern Outdoors with Podcast. I got uh, the ginger bow hunter, the ginger dove slayer on the line. And with me in person, I got Matt Reeves, Southern What's Pursuit. Up? What's up? Y'all have heard him before, but this time he doesn't sound all sketchy over the phone. You, you hear crisp, clear audio from our expensive headsets. In, in person. In person. Crisp and clean like mountain water. All right, Jakob, how you doing? Doing great, dude. Freaking awesome. Just because uh, this past day, just hunting some public land for some doves, it was a freaking blast. So, yeah, I'm still pumped up about that. I've never had dreams about dove hunting until after that hunt. 
<laughs> so. Jacob called me today. He was like, I couldn't sleep because I was thinking about the dubs. He went He went today without you. He just didn't tell you. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So. No, so we'll get to the dove hunting here in a minute uh, or, or in a little while. But we had a, a, a great dove shoot. But we're going to talk about on this podcast early season deer killing techniques. So we're going to cover three bases. We're going to cover places with ag places with fields like food plots and then places with no food plots is in just straight timber uh which each of us hunted last year jacob hunted ag i hunted a place with a field and matt you hunted just straight timber swampland so we're gonna get three different aspects of it um jacob you want to start kind of i guess we'll kind of run through our our individual hunts and then kind of roll from there and just kind of let the conversation flow yeah so you know, kind of like kick us off. And the reason why guys are trying to cover this is because this time of year, you know, states are starting to open up a little bit at a time. Georgia will be opening up this weekend, uh, the 14th, which me and Andrew will both be hunting in Georgia uh, for that hunt. And, you know, we're just going to kind of give a different perspectives from our personal experiences over this last year or so, year and a half, uh, hunting some of these different areas, especially like when I was up in Tennessee. So, you know, kind of covering ag a little bit. You know, last year was my first real big step into hunting agriculture. Uh, previously, just coming from, you know, kind of central Alabama area, you know, that's something you rarely ever saw. I mean, unless you were on some kind of big private farm or something, you never ever saw in public. Uh, where Tennessee's got quite a bit of ag throughout the state on public land, which gives you a different perspective. You know, Kentucky's the exact same way. Um, ag can be kind of tricky for someone that's never hunted before just to kind of figure out how the deer are truly using it and understanding, you know, the difference between bean and corn. You know, if you got sand and corn, um, you know, it can make great bedding and a, and a little secure cover those deer can stay in. But the beans is pretty much the ticket until they cut the corn. Uh, and that's one thing I learned last year was just how valuable finding a good bean field was to not only seeing a lot of deer, but finding a lot of, you know, really good bachelor groups in those areas. Straight up is hunting ag easier um I, it's easier to see deer for sure i'm not going to say it's necessarily easier to kill them um i mean well well if you're just going out to kill a deer let's say like a, a halfway decent buck or a doe is it easier i would say that's just pretty general being very general on that um i what's your time frame mm, well, you get, let's no, say, no, no, oh, no, 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 this is talking <laughs> early season. I'll say definitely early season. I feel it's probably a little bit easier just because you're going to have more opportunities seeing gear at a distance and making a play on them, uh, whether from a tree or from the ground. Uh, the problem is around any kind of fields, most of the time you don't have the prettiest trees, um, which, you know, the saddle or a log country stand normally you can get in some of those trees. Sometimes you can't even do that. Uh, so you'd have to hunt off the ground, but, you know, it's nice to be able to see the deer, see where they're coming in and out of the field and go over there and make a play on them, uh, you know, a following evening or even a morning hunt. Um, but, yeah, I don't know, dude. I mean, I definitely think it is – It's if you had the deer numbers, kind of like how Tennessee was, I feel like it definitely could be easier uh, just from getting more opportunities at those deer, uh, which is something I, I definitely saw last year. But, yeah, so that, that's kind of just a little overview uh, do you have any kind of questions or thoughts on any of that? Um, I, kind of what I was I was asking on the time frame, you know, 
if you had depending on the amount of days you had to like what like you said glass a field to see where these deer are actually coming out and to adjust to them say over like a five-day period you know if you're on an out-of-state hunt you know kind of you'll be able to see and find your target buck and then make a move on him through those five days. Yeah, it, it would make it a lot easier for that, for sure. Um, I mean, absolutely, it would make it easier. Just because, again, you can quickly and relatively easy, as long as you got good glass, you know, good spotting equipment and binos, you can glass deer from a, a pretty far distance if you get a good vantage point and get an idea of what you're working with, especially on an out-of-state hunt, like what we did on that velvet hunt, dude. Um, yeah, that's I mean, a good point. Exactly. <laughs> exactly the same thing so exactly the same thing you know we got in there and now that area you couldn't really glass from the road but we were able to get elevated and get and visual on these deer and find an area that hey they're, they're coming through right here and the deer came through and we were able to get shots off um but last year kind of funny but the success i had just early season you know hunting for does and bucks wasn't even necessarily in the ag it was in timber lots in between the ag uh, that these deer were using not only as like bedding cover, but also just travel corridors through all these different fields. Um, and actually shot my first deer last year, killed my first deer last year off the ground uh, in one of those tiny little woodlots, you know, it's just a couple acres in between a bunch of bean fields. Um, and if I would have sat still after I shot her, I shot her at six yards quartering towards me and she was about to walk over me on the trail hunting in the rain. So, um, well, so yeah, you killed like, I mean, you were all over deer all last season, like early in the year, you know, September, October time frame. Um, so you're hunting around beans mostly. And like, like I said, we're on ag right now. We'll move to timber and stuff later. Um, but, uh, what do you think was the determining factors in that kind of hunt? Like, are you looking for some kind of specific travel corridor, some specific bedding feature? Like what were you trying to focus in on to get on these deer? Really, again, we can talk about this a lot, but, you know, kind of finding these subtle things that looks like they would hold deer. Uh, early season, I'm not too worried about running into guys just because there's not many guys, especially like early, early season when you got states open in September. Um, you know, I'm not super worried about running into guys on those areas. But what, what really kind of hit me off on that spot was not only did I think there were deer in the area, and when I was walking in, the sign was unreal, but it was what was on the private side which was a bunch of like kind of overgrown CRP grasses and everything. And I was like, this looks like a fantastic quarter where these deer are going to be coming through feeding in this bean field for sure, but they might be coming from a few different directions and I'll be able to get a shot at them. And I mean, that's really just what happened. Um, but I feel like if you can get a place that has a bunch of different, when you're, when you're kind of hunting ag, you know, anytime you have ag and you got water close by, I mean, it's like a win-win. Ag, water, and secure cover. I mean, it's absolutely everything they need. Well, why don't you, you know, describe your spot a little bit just to give people an idea of where these deer were. Like, kind of kind of your setup where, like, the lay of the land right there. Yeah, so, super. I mean, super. most most agriculture you're going to be hunting is going to be super flat land for sure. Um, and that's kind of what this situation was. There was a bunch of just broken fields, uh, you know, with timber in between them. Uh, so you had strips of timber that were, you know, 20 yards wide maybe uh you know throughout the property and then have little timber lots every now and then in that property around these fields um really i just kind of suspected that these deer were going to be coming out of these uh timber roads just because the beans in these areas weren't very tall you know they were kind of late planting beans they were probably only knee high um at this time of the year 
so they weren't going to be betting in them uh, like we've seen, or especially like our buddies at Hunt Kentucky. Uh, they see a lot of times the bucks and the big mature beans will be bedded in the beans all day long. And uh, that definitely wasn't going to be a factor at all. So thinking they were going to be bedded in the timber, moving through the timber, kind of coming out into the beans later in the afternoon. And that's really just what I keyed in on. Yeah. I hunted that spot too, and it was pretty awesome. Or one of your spots last year when I came and stayed up in Nashville with you. I hunted one of those areas, and it was – I saw a skunk. Right on. Skunk? Okay. Yeah, I saw a big old skunk. That was the first skunk I'd ever seen in my life. I'd never seen a skunk in Alabama. And then I saw like three last year. It's like open the floodgates on them. But, uh, but anyways, so yeah, I mean, do you have anything else to say about that? I mean, I feel like ag is kind of straightforward to me. Yeah, to, it really just comes down to getting a vantage point. Okay, so – Beans are great early on as long as they haven't turned yellow and, and just really turned. So, so the report I'm getting from guys in Kentucky right now hunting public that a lot of the bean fields were early planted and that uh, they're already turning yellow. So there's, there's no deer in those areas. Yeah. Um, I should say there's, there's, no, there's not a lot of bucks or a lot of, not a lot of deer going into those areas to feed. So it made it kind of tough on them. So as long as you have late planted beans, get some short sprouted beans, uh, it'll be fantastic. Now, corn is tricky until they cut it. When they cut it, you can go out there for you know, as long as you don't have a whole bunch of heavy rain that can, uh, uh, what is it, like mildew, the uh, mold and mildew the corn that's yeah, on the like ground. Sour so it, don't yeah, sour much. Yeah. So as long as you don't have a whole bunch of rain, you know, up to like two weeks after they cut it, it's going to be fantastic. But when the you know, a few days of, you know, the farmers coming through cutting that corn, you better be on those fields it's because nice. it will be crazy. Yeah. Uh, but, yeah, it's pretty straightforward. I mean, it's pretty com- pretty much comes down get to observation sit. But that's one thing Southerners, we're not used to talking about is, like, observation sits. Because there's – I've never sat in timber and had an observation sit for the most part. Too uh, risky, man. Mm-hmm. Wasting, yeah. Wasting the hunt, it feels like. Yeah, really. Unless, Just- you, do it, unless you do it, like, on a – Maybe a clear cut, but still, it's yeah. not even that same thing. Yeah. But definitely, you do an observation hunt where you can kind of just see what's going on in these ag areas, especially when they cut corn. Oh, my God, dude. That's one thing I, I want to hunt really bad this year on the piece that we hunted for that velvet hunt. When they cut that corn in the back of that property, whoo, son, I want to be there <laughs> ASAP. Yeah. And actually, I got the uh, – well, I got to find it again. I got had the phone number for the farm that lived across the street. So I was going to kind of keep in contact with them when they were going to cut it and try to plan my – trip accordingly oh that's smart yeah, uh, yeah jacob well i used to hunt illinois a little bit and it was on a private piece and when they picked that corn it was uh all the deer knew it and they were running to it it, it looked like you know you just got a bag of corn from academy and just strode it out there it was just oh, yeah. crazy how much they missed and uh, also on your beans uh like you said when they start turning yellow those deer they don't want them. Yeah, they, they they've turned bitter or something i'm not i'm not sure but they just they don't they stay out of them and when they get picked it it's just clean, just yeah. Nothing. There's not a lot of waste. Yeah, when they it's not. It's not like beans. a cornfield, you know. There's not beans laying everywhere. Yeah, yeah. Um, what about when? Uh, what about when the corn is standing? I mean, do you have an opinion on that? I haven't hunted standing corn before. I've heard people say that deer bedded in it, but I mean, no, well, listen, maybe they do. I've been in a cornfield in the summer, and that is miserable. I'm it's like, hot. why would a deer ever ever lay in this stuff? Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's that's actually kind of funny you brought that up. So I thought the same thing. You know, I've always heard you know guys saying deer are better than corn. Well, I walked through those corn like the cornfields on that uh, velvet hunt, and also what I did last year up in Tennessee. It is so barren in there, and it is like yeah, like you said, it holds the heat in those areas, especially you know on a sunny day. 
I can't imagine those deer be bedded in that at all. Uh, at least early season. That's just from what I saw. I never saw anything in there that proved that you know there were deer bedded in there. Now, if you left standing corn until November, I'm sure they'd probably use it a little bit. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I don't know. It's just tricky. And when you're hunting standing corn, most of the time a farmer they'll have an edge cut around that you know is just wide enough for a combine or just wide enough for the uh, tractor to go through uh, mm-hmm. on the edge. And a lot of times, you know, you can find areas where those deer are cutting across there, but. You know, it's just kind of tricky to be to be honest. From a lot of the guys I've talked to that hunt corn a lot, it's always the best time to hunt it is when they are cutting. Like literally, when they got the combines in the field, go sit there and just get <laughs> and just watch. You because, seen that, Matt? Yeah, just like yeah. You, yeah. I mean, just like you said, uh, Matt. You know, those deer are used to hearing those combines and they know what that means, and they come running to those fields. I mean, you you could have a freaking awesome hunt, shoot a deer out from behind a combine when it's running. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, we had a farm that we leased, I think it was two years ago, and uh, my dad was hunting area, and he had it to where, kind of like y'all said, the bedding of in the corn, but they were knocking over the stalks of corn, eating the corn off the stalks. Yep. Oh, wow. You know, I mean, it was just all laid over, and you'd hear, you know, you wouldn't see the deer, but you'd hear them walking through that corn to you, you know, so you don't know what's going to, you know, it may be a booner, or maybe a yearling jump yeah, out, but yeah. be ready. Yeah. Yeah, I've that's something I have very little experience with. I mean, I hunted around beans some, like, like that are still green, and it is lucrative. The deer are in that stuff, and uh, I mean, just I mean, personally for me, I feel like it's a lot easier to get on. Like if you just want to kill a doe, if you can find some beans on public, or if you have access to some beans, man, that's the place to do it. If you're just wanting to whack a doe, because I mean, man, you can sit out there like you said earlier, Jacob, and just watch them and observe for a day or two and see what they're doing and then you can make a pretty educated guess on where you need to be and as long as you cross your t's and dot your i's i mean you can put yourself on them pretty pretty effectively as long as they're in an approachable spot i mean you know sometimes they're just in a spot that with wind and everything else you just can't get to so you got to find huntable deer first of all Uh, i agree i mean it's fun to hunt them dude just coming from you know a deep south hunting perspective hunting ag is an absolute blast because it's so much different it's it's a different perspective and just being able to see deer at a super long range that are I mean, real, fairly comfortable especially early season as long as there's not guys going in there blowing them out i mean dude they're mm-hmm. just doing their thing and uh dude it's it's a blast i mean i'm excited to go do it again especially in tennessee this year the problem is tennessee season opens I feel, I feel like it's opening like a week later than it did the last year. But, and maybe it's not, but it's opened up the 28th this year. And, and uh, I don't know of any late planted beans that are necessarily on public. I haven't scouted uh, the piece I hunted a whole bunch last year. But uh, I'm very much going to try key on some cut cornfields. Like, uh, it's, that's going to be my ticket, I think, especially going into October for sure. Yeah, Jacob, like you said, we uh, with where we live, we don't – get the opportunity much to hunt ag and i guess it's so rewarding to get to hunt it because that's what we grew up watching you know with monster bucks and everybody you know if you see a a cut cornfield you're like oh a giant's just gonna come through there yeah you know uh, (laughs) and and that's just what i guess like you said i've 
when I first hunted a cornfield, I'm like, oh, you know, this is my time to kill a big deer. And <laughs> yeah. I saw like one deer. You yeah. Know? Yeah. But uh, that's just, it's rewarding to be able to do that and it, experience it. You know, like like you said, you, we, we, oftentimes we try to hunt where we want the deer to be and not oh, where yeah. they are. Yeah. And uh, that, that <laughs> can sometimes be the situation with ag field, but it can be rewarding a lot of times also. I, I totally relate with that because you grew up watching that all the time, watching Michael Waddell and, mm-hmm. uh, uh, what's the di- Stan Potts? Stan Potts <laughs> went man. over the levee, and then Lee and Tiffany and all that <laughs> stuff, man. Watching them hunting beans and stuff. I remember, I never thought that Bama had any like uh, agriculture on public. Yeah, there is. I'm not gonna say any. I'm not gonna say any more than there is in the state of Alabama, beans and corn on public in certain places. And I'm sure that there's some in Mississippi and Georgia, oh, yeah. and I know there's some in Tennessee too, and Arkansas and Kentucky. Um, I remember the first time I found ag on public land, I was like, I'm going to kill a giant this year. Just check it off right I know, there. I checked it off. I'm like, man, I'm going to go ahead and write it on my license right now. <laughs> there might not be any tracks in this field, but I'm going to kill a deer. Oh, here. dude, I remember you know? I freaked out. I was texting everybody. I'm like, I found some beans on public land. We're going to kill them all. <laughs> it's time. <laughs> I was so excited, oh, man. I, I know exactly. Yep. <laughs> I did not kill a deer on well, that field. <laughs> yeah. Well, dude, it's fun. I'm, I remember last year when I was in Tennessee, and I remember I was talking to you. I was scouting. And I was like, oh, my God, dude, I found corn. Holy crap. And I like, started walking through these cornfields. And th- dude, there was a ton of deer sign. I was like, oh, my God, dude, I can put a stand here. And I found some huge tracks, dude, in one of those fields. And actually, I really need to go back there, to be honest. Um, <laughs> and, and, th- and then I, I remember the first field I saw that had beans on it, and I freaked out, dude. I was like, oh, my God, dude, I grew able to hunt beans and, like, Again, it's just kind of funny because guys that live in these areas, because I know we got a lot of listeners like from the Northeast and the Midwest. You know, if you live in these areas with that kind of stuff, it's just the kind of same old saying. It's like not a big deal. But for us guys like Southerners that don't hunt in those areas very often or never in our entire lives, dude, it is exciting just because it's a it's a true large destination food source for deer that otherwise, unless you had a really big food plot or a huge white oak stand or something like that, you don't really have that in a lot of areas. Yeah. Um, well, I so. want to hit one more thing on, on ag, and then we're going to move on to, like, timber with food plots. Um, but with ag, let's say there's no corn, and let's say there's beans, but the beans are yellow. What are you going to do? Dude, what time of year are we talking? Are we I ta- mean, we're, are we talk- talking? we're let's just say it's late September or early October, and oh, you got public land. Symmetry. Persimmon trees? Persimmons, boy. If I'm in Tennessee and I see that, I'm finding the closest persimmon tree possible in that area uh, and going to try to capitalize that. Now, I'm not going to hunt a persimmon tree if there's not a ton of deer sign there. You know, you got to have persimmons on the ground and you got to have the sign there. But that's what I killed. Actually, I forgot to say that earlier. That little woodlot I was in had a a really large persimmon tree in it. It was dropping and you could smell it like in the air, like the persimmons, the sweetness. And there was deer sign, I mean, droppings all around there. And I was literally... I don't know, 15 yards off of it, hunting off the ground back to a tree while it was raining, and those freaking deer just started walking right towards me, dude. I mean, it was just, it was just crazy. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, I'd look for a persimmon tree, and maybe, I mean, dude, at that time of year, definitely, a, uh, you know, try and find some oaks that are dropping. I mean, for sure, dude, in and around those field edges. Because I, I think the deer will still kind of skirt the edges and everything, and you'll probably still see some deer. They're just not necessarily going to be feeding out in there a whole bunch. Yeah, uh, but yeah, dude, it's just boots on the ground. That's the biggest thing, like for real. Yeah, yeah, you brought up a good point with finding like a food source that's actually got some uh, 
some deer sign on it because that's another thing that i used to screw up on a bunch like i remember the first persimmon tree i found in alabama and it had persimmons on the ground and i was like oh my gosh it was another one of those moments like here it is here this is the spot and uh for whatever reason it was either in a spot that the deer didn't want to go to or they hadn't found it or something uh but I, i hunted it and never saw anything and there wasn't really much deer sign around it at all uh, so it's like you can have like a good food source, like good white oaks or persimmons or if you got them like apples or something like that. And sometimes the deer just for whatever reason aren't eating them. Maybe mm-hmm. they haven't found them or what. Yeah. Do you have anything on that, Matt? Yeah, we had a place in uh, in Illinois where it was a fresh cut uh, cornfield and uh, had persimmons on the side. You know, it's, this is kind of a different scenario from what y'all were talking about, but um, had uh, fresh cut corn and then just these huge biggest persimmon trees i've ever seen mm-hmm. and persimmons all on the ground and plenty of sign to where the deer have been you know walking around and eating them but uh that afternoon we set up on them and we're like like you said hey this is it you know just mm-hmm. already counting our chickens for the hatch and uh not a single deer came to the persimmons yeah they ran straight to the middle of that cornfield and didn't leave dang man and um some good bucks too but it's just you know, like, but like Jacob said, we found some persimmons in uh, in Alabama here, and um, the deer had found them, but they're not, they weren't coming to it in the daylight. You know, mm-hmm. and it it was on public land, but uh, we were having an issue with a bunch of pigs running in there, oh, eating, yeah. eating them up. You know, yeah, that's another thing. Maybe is like those food sources. If if you're not hunting like soybeans or something like that, and you have to resort to white oaks or persimmons or whatever else, what other kind of mass there is. Um, I would try and find something in close proximity to bedding, mm-hmm. which kind of ties into where mine is. Do y'all have anything else on on uh, ag? No, That's I was going to say, I, I mean, I feel like that was pretty much it. I mean, ag early season and, you know, definitely early season can be fantastic if you can find the beans or cut cornfield. Most time, you're not ever finding much standing agriculture on public land that I've hunted personally um you know later in the season because some guys are like oh it's a fantastic food source if you have some you know standing beans or standing corn whatever later in the season i've hunted standing uh, beans before on private and uh it was fantastic but anyways now but that's pretty much it though yeah okay well i guess now we'll, we'll move on to mine which is hunting uh like mostly timbered land but you got food plots in it um and mine was in georgia specifically so it's going to be a little different for guys in Alabama who's they're not they open literally a month later than Georgia does, which is why I buy a Georgia license. <laughs> but uh I was hunting Georgia last year and it was just, you know, timber, a lot of hardwoods, a lot of pine plantations, just kind of your typical mid-south outside of the black belt kind of area. You got pines on the hilltops, hardwoods in the SMZs. And uh I was in there and I I kept trying to hunt you know, just the hardwoods and the oaks weren't really dropping yet. I mean, there were some that were dropping. Uh, and then, so finally I ended up finding a food plot that had just sprouted up. It was like real green, young, tender growth and the deer were hammering it. And I kept driving out and seeing deer going to that food plot at like eight o'clock, like 30 minutes after dark. And mm-hmm. then, so finally I was just like, okay, I need to hunt this. So I go in there find all kinds of buck sign man like fresh fresh rubs they had just rubbed off their velvet and there was i mean like brand spanking new rubs all over the woods and uh started hunting that and uh they were basically maybe feeding a little bit on oaks on their way to that food plot and one thing i'll say is that and i've seen this in 
Alabama and Georgia, there was a bunch of sawtooth oaks around there, mm-hmm. and the deer would not touch them. They were not eating those sawtooth oak acorns. I don't know what it is about them. They just do not like them, which, I mean. I, I think it's something that's just been beat into our head that, hey, you you plant a sawtooth, it's it's the mecca acorn. You know? Yeah, because, I mean, the sawtooth, every acorn on that dang tree is on the ground. They drop early. Real, real early. early. Which I guess is it's kind of it was kind of a fad in like the deer management world. The whole sawtooth, like I remember when it was like a craze, and then it kind of died off maybe a little bit. I can see it as being beneficial to having a food source year round as as far as acorns, you mm-hmm. know, because you have you have your sawtooths, then you'll have your white oaks, and then go from there. Mm-hmm. But, you know, like yeah. you said, they they weren't eating them. I mean, they were like crunching them beneath their hooves going to this food plot, man. So yeah, I started hunting that. Uh, ended up finding some beds, which we can get into in a second, and uh, set up 70 yards from the bed, basically kind of in between the food plot and the beds, and missed a buck at like 3.30, like way early. Mm-hmm. I mean, it wasn't getting dark until almost 8 o'clock. I mean, he was way early coming out. Uh, yeah, and I missed him, which is on video on our YouTube channel if anybody wants to see me fail. I- I've watched it. <laughs> <laughs> I remember when it happened, you texted me, and you were like, oh. <laughs> just missed a buck. I'm like, it's three o'clock. <laughs> just, <laughs> just stay. His brother's gonna come. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, um, yeah. Y'all ask me questions about that, and we'll we'll run from there. So one thing I was gonna ask is, you know, with that food plot on public land, you know, where we've hunted in the past in Alabama, there's been food plots on on public land, and it's something that we've not really ever focused on, just because. I guess archer season, I guess there's probably not that much pressure on it, but definitely come gun season, it's ridiculous, like the amount of people that will hunt those. Were you kind of, even though you were driving through there, could you almost like not believe that there was actually deer on that food plot? Yeah, because I'd seen them, I think, two times and just kind of wrote it off. Like I don't even, I don't know why, but I was just like, eh, whatever. Uh, and then f- the third time I saw them, I was like, okay, like I, I should probably yeah. focus in on this. And there was nobody hunting it. I think that food plots on public land, which we might be ruining this as we talk about it more, but food plots on public land are kind of underutilized, especially in bow season. Bow season and late season, I think they're underutilized, and we've like we've had good luck on them yeah. early and late because, I mean, people just aren't hunting them. When you get your gun days and you have like not your diehard guys out there but got kind of weekend warriors that might hunt two or three times a year, they'll go to those food plots and sit them. And, I mean, I'm sure they have luck. Uh, and they'll kind of get covered up around that time. But early season, th- those kind of guys aren't hunting. And late season, those kind of guys aren't hunting mo- for the most part. So, I mean, dude, they'll pound some food plots, especially, like I said, in Georgia, when you're hunting early to mid-September and the oaks and stuff really haven't started doing their thing yet. I mean, they're just yeah. – white oaks haven't dropped yet. Uh, red oaks definitely haven't dropped yet. Water oaks, all that stuff, they just haven't started. And the, so the deer aren't focusing on it. Uh, and so they were – traveling a little bit to get to that food plot which they weren't bedding too far from it i don't mm-hmm. think yeah, um they, they weren't having to work too hard you know they were trying to find mm-hmm. the the easiest and least least amount of work to get to get to a food source mm-hmm. yeah and i mean they were so, bedded go ahead no so that area you know what made that special i mean what made other than just you know it having some pressure growth which by the way what was it planning last year was it still millet uh, I think it was millet that had re-sprouted, I'm pretty sure. Mm. Yeah, I remember you saying that. Yeah. Um, you know, in, in a situation like that, you know, 
I feel like that almost would be kind of tough, you know, from our perspective, you know, we're always talking about like, you know, try to find overlooked spots and everything like that. And to me, food plots on public land are not overlooked spots in my opinion. But yeah. now thinking of now thinking about it, maybe they are like you said, early season, late season, maybe they are overlooked and there's guys that just kind of stay away from them. But, you know, I'm not going to say you're going to kill a freaking mature buck off that all the time. But, I mean, if you're just trying to go kill some freaking does, dude, that, that could be the absolute ticket for sure. Well, so, I mean, that's you, the thing, dude, is that uh, – so in most Georgia WMAs that I've hunted, and I've hunted several now, um, they do sign-in hunts. So when you go there, there's like a board, and you go sign in. Like you sign your name and everything, mm-hmm. and then you go hunt, and you got to do that every time you hunt. So I could see how many people were hunting the place, and I could see what days they were hunting – and then you also put down your truck, so I knew who was driving what truck. And so eventually I got to meet two or three of them, uh, and I kind of knew where they were hunting just based off where they were parked, and yeah. kind of we would exchange just a little bit of information, not a, to- not a ton, but, you know, enough to stay off each other. And uh, all these guys were overlooking this food. I mean, most of those guys, like I was saying earlier, early season bow hunters, are typically going to be like your more diehard deer hunters because they're out there and it's hot and there's mosquitoes. And these guys were going to SMZs. They were going to hardwoods, and they were walking in a good piece, except one of them. One of them was hunting another overlook spot, uh, like a little tiny field, feral field, not a food plot, right off the road, man. And he he killed a deer one day that I was out there. I helped him get it out. Um, So that definitely helped, was just knowing where everyone else was hunting. That helped me narrow down my spot. And, of course, that I I kept seeing deer there driving out. And I kept seeing bucks there, too. And I talked to one of the other guys, and he also was like, yeah, man, I keep seeing bucks right there on that stretch of road. But he he was like me. He just, like, wasn't hunting them. Just, and that's when it dawned on me. I'm was, like, heck, I need to hunt these things. Like thought nobody... it was coincidence, I yeah, guess. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So the third time I saw him, I knew. I was like, yeah, I need to go in here, try this yeah, out. Yeah. Well, I, I've got a question. Um, with my tactic, when I'm hunting early season like that, it's and with most people, it's a bed-to-feed pattern. So oh, yeah. I, I think Jacob kind of asked how close do you think you know that you were to their bedding area, but how close do you think their bedding area was to the food itself? You know, and how to time that out, time that up to make sure you're not hunting a deer that's turning nocturnal. You know, mm-hmm. if you're hunting that deer at the food plot, he's getting there. You know, ten twenty minutes after after light. Yeah, and so you moved from what I understood, you moved up forward to mm-hmm. cut out, cut out that time and uh, actually get them in daylight yeah so this was a unique situation because i kept seeing these bucks cross and they were always crossing within like like this stretch of road they were always crossing within like 20 yards Mm -hmm. consistently like there's like a bend right there and they always crossed in that bend so i was like okay i know they're going here and i know they're coming from over there so i went in uh, I parked and i started walking basically backtracking i'm not walking on the trail but kind of paralleling it a Mm -hmm. little bit and as I was slipping down in there, it's kind of planted pines, and it's pretty open. And there was one, I mean, this is just total luck that this happened, but there was one huge, big, just white oak tree, old, mm-hmm. giant white oak that was dead. And so it had probably been dead for a year or two, maybe. And uh, the sunlight, you know, was penetrating through the canopy. Yeah, it was just yeah. a hole punched in the canopy. And around that tree, there was a bunch of privet and briars and all kinds of stuff growing. <clears throat> and I bumped a buck out of there when I was walking in and he got up and I was kind of in a little ditch and he couldn't see me good. So I got down and he got up and kind of bounded three or four times and stopped. And I could just see bits and pieces. I didn't really know what he was. 
Uh, but I knew it was a buck, and he blew and ran off. Yeah. But it was kind of one of those, like, once you – like, if you've been hunting for a while, you know what I'm talking about. But if you're kind of newer, you'll get it eventually where, like, when you bump a deer, they either don't really know what you were and they're just kind of being cautious or you scared the piss out of them and they know exactly. They're gone. Yeah. They're in another county. Yeah, this one didn't really know what I was. Like, he bounded off. He was looking back. He didn't know what happened. And eventually <laughs> – you know, he was like walking off blowing. Yeah. So he didn't really know what happened. And really, a lot of times, if it's does, you can blow back at them and they'll come right back and you can kill them, man. <laughs> I've mm-hmm. killed does like yeah. that. I um, haven't got up the courage to try my uh, doe blowing out, but, you know. Oh, man, I've done it. It's fun. I'm going to try it this year. Oh, yeah, it works. I mean, it really does. So I saw him get up out of there, um, and I kept pushing in, just thinking like, okay, that was just maybe a satellite buck. And I push back into this area, and I blow out, like, two more deer. I went too far. Mm. But the the sign in there was unreal. So I was like, crap. Hunted that day. Um, ended up seeing another little deer. And, again, this is on the YouTube channel. So if you guys want, like, a, a picture of what this looked like, you can go watch those videos. Um, but so then I came back in for the next hunt, and I was like, well, maybe there's going to be one in that little briar patch. So that's the one I slipped up on. And um, – what they were doing is that, I mean, they were probably, I'd say, 100 yards from the field. And what they were doing is standing up and they were walking parallel to the field and kind of J hooking up into it. So, and there was a ditch right there and they were J hooking up around the ditch. Uh, and then that's how they were going to get up to that bend in the road. That's mm-hmm. why they kept walking through that one spot. And so that's where I ended up setting up. And that buck came out at three o'clock and I missed him. Yeah. Um, pushing up into there. So a question I would have is, you know, talking about these areas, you know, trying to find these, you know, fields and everything. And this is something else for another perspective of, you know, kind of early season tactics around food sources. You know, this is none of this really has to do a whole bunch with bedding, but it's nice to know this is a general area. If you if you can figure out the travel core that these deer are moving and you can lay eyes on them, whether you're hunting ag, you know, whether you're hunting ag, you're hunting, you know, food plots or you're hunting just straight timber. As long as you can put eyes on deer or put eyes on the travel corridor and understand where they're working it, I feel like you can go in and get close enough early season to make it happen. Now, you did that last year, uh, and, you know, we're about to do that this weekend uh, on the on this uh, hunt. And one thing I'll be very curious to figure out is just the overall travel corridors between the does and the bucks because since you've been back out into the same spot glassing this summer, they're not necessarily coming out in the same areas, right? Yeah, so this like summer, the does. yeah, they're coming out in a slightly different spot than they were last year, which I don't quite understand yet. Uh, we're just going to have to hunt it and figure it out. I mean, uh, but yeah, it's definitely different than it was last year. Uh, but that's the cool thing about this area is that you can observe it really well. Like probably at least once or twice this week, I'm going to go try and glass some cutovers and stuff out there. And uh, if, if nothing else, I'm just going to go drive the roads at night and see where deer are crossing the roads at night. And, I mean, just that alone will give you a good idea. Another thing that I've already done, uh, which, I mean, you could do this any time because it's very low impact on both your legs and the deer, is you can just go drive the roads and look at where trails are crossing. Um, You don't have to, you know, just cruise down the roads real slow and look and see where a trail is crossing the road and mark it. And I did that for this whole place. I drove and I marked everywhere where I either saw a deer cross or where I saw a trail, you know, coming out of like a mm-hmm. cutover or something. Yeah. And then once you have all this marked, you can look at it all at once on an aerial photo and be like, 
Okay, this is starting to make sense. Maybe try and connect the dots. Jacob's freaking out. What you got? <laughs> no, actually, uh, you're talking about like tra- you know cr- road crossings and stuff, but trails. I've been, I was talking with uh, Adrian Farley, who was our guest last on last week's podcast. Which, by the way, guys, anyone listening to the podcast right now, if you didn't listen to last week's podcast with Adrian, check that out. That dude is just unbelievably knowledgeable just about deer hunting in the South and his tactics and. I'm really excited to kind of implement some of the stuff he's using. But I was on the phone with him for almost three hours uh, a couple nights ago. And one thing he was telling me about, because I let him look at a spot on the map that I've been wanting to kind of dial into and really kind of look at a little bit more. And one thing he showed is on the map, he's like, the, he, there's a couple intersections. And a lot of the public land around here is just roaded up. And he's like, these intersections look good for crossings. And I asked him why. And he said, one reason is, he's like, anytime you have a bend in a road, for the most part, in hill country, if you have a bend in a road, it's normally at the head of a draw. And I thought about that. And I'm like, dude, that makes so much so much sense. Because when they're building the roads out here, especially through management areas, they're trying to keep them on top of the ridges if possible. Okay, And when you have a sharp bend or a bend like that, the inside of that bend normally is a draw. Okay, and he's like, it's a natural corridor, and those deer will come out of that draw, and that's why you always will see deer crossing in corners of roads. And I thought about that, and I'm like, that makes so much sense, just in <laughs> general, because I've seen that happen time and time again. And he's like, those are areas that I would check out first and kind of walk in from there and try to figure out, you know, where there are areas that you can set up, you know, get off the road just, you know, as far off that you can get, you know, legally. And, and see what those areas look like to kind of get set up and, and look at what those crossings are looking like in the timber. Um, but, dude, I think that stuff like that's just fantastic. It, it just made me think a new perspective when I'm looking at a place that is roaded up of where these corridors could actually be in these areas that a lot of guys are just overlooking. So, yeah. yeah. Anyways, yeah, man, it's, it's exciting. Well, I mean, that, that kind of goes back, which you probably cut out when I was talking about that. But uh, I didn't mention Adrian or anything, but – the bucks that I kept seeing crossing last year, they were, they were always crossing at the bend in the road. And there was a little draw going down through the pines right there. And what they were doing is they were J-hooking up around that draw and then cutting up through the road to get into the field. I mean, that's exactly what they were doing last year. So Adrian called that, uh, I mean, dead on, dude. That, I mean, because that's literally exactly what I saw. I mean, yeah. I mean, I mean, I would say that pretty much kind of sums up. I mean, what I got at least, unless y'all got any more questions on it or or any more thoughts on that particular subject. But yeah, for yeah, me, it's, yeah. I, 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 well, go ahead, dude. Sorry, no. I was gonna <laughs> say I, I do. I do have an important question. I think a lot of guys are wondering how do you hunt uh, destination food sources like that in public without blowing deer out, getting getting out of the tree. Ooh. That's tough. Or getting in the tree. My, so that's my thing is I could sit up on the field and I could, I could definitely kill one of the smaller bucks or one of the does. The mature bucks, though, were showing up, I mean, just not far after dark, but, I mean, just right after shooting hours, man. Like, I'm talking 20, 30 minutes after legal light is when they were showing up. So it wasn't long. Um, but And I was going after them. I mean, I passed some does last year trying to kill one of those bucks, which I wish I hadn't done. I wish I'd have just killed some does. Um, but uh, so that's why, I mean, if you're sitting on the field, dude, unless you got like a good setup where you can get out of a tree real quiet, it's going to be hard to blow those deer out unless you can have someone maybe drive up to it and pick you up. But, I mean, if you're hunting alone, that's not an option. 
So my way around that last year was, I mean, I was sitting in between bed and food because, I mean, like I said, they're very much on a bed-to-food pattern. So I was sitting a little bit closer to the bedding, and I was having a lot of these deer work past me. And, I mean, once they get past you and at their food source, you're alone. And, I mean, I was getting out last year no problem because all the deer had already kind of left my area. Um, and I'll also add that hunting this stuff, I was hunt. I mean, I was hunting a sketchy wind, like very much quartering two wind. I mean, just off wind from where they're going. So really, they're downwind of me, but I mean, my wind is missing them by like maybe 20 yards. Just barely. They're just barely cutting it. So by the time they go up into the field, they're on the upwind side of me. Mm-hmm. And then you can just slip out and do your thing and get out. And it, it, it was never really much of an issue. Um, but I know that, you know, if you got a, a buck sometimes dude you just got to go for broke that's what uh, our buddy jordan just did in kentucky i was talking to him the other day and he's like yeah i got this one spot i don't think i can get out clean i'm going for broke i'm either going to get in there and kill him or i'm going to get in there and spook him that's the mm-hmm. only thing uh so i mean i don't know man sometimes you, got, you just do spook it deer. sometimes and uh, like i said a minute ago though i spooked the hell out of those deer last year several times mm-hmm. and they i mean they stayed there well with it being so early they they don't know what you are you know if yeah. you if you handle it the right way yeah i mean yeah both season they're still getting very especially i mean this is true on public land they're getting very little pressure both season i mean public land gets a bad rap but there's not that many guys on most places who are bow hunting so you might bump them a few times, but at the end of the day, if they got away and they're fine, they're gonna they're gonna come back. I mean, if they, if there's one thing that I've learned from from guys like deer researchers and my friends who are in deer research and everything, it's that it doesn't make any sense for like a deer if you bump him to leave his home range and go to a different one that he's mm-hmm. unfamiliar with. Like, there's no advantage to that because he doesn't know that area. He might shift within his area. He's still in there somewhere. He's just doing something different to avoid you, and you just got to relocate him. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I spooked him several times last year, and to be honest, there were so many deer in there that I didn't really keep him straight. I wasn't trying to target a specific buck. I was looking for a buck I wanted to shoot. Yeah. They- so I might have spooked some bucks that – I didn't end up seeing again, but I mean, I still got a shot at a buck that I wanted after I'd spooked deer out of that area at least once, maybe they, twice. Yeah, they were all, it was just, a, they were filtering in and out, you know, it may have been yeah. two or three different groups of deer, you know, yeah. every other day. That's the advantage to hunting an area with a high deer density. That place has a high deer density yeah. for sure. Yeah. If you're hunting someplace like Bankhead in Alabama, where there's like three deer on the whole place, <laughs> all the Bankhead hunters are like, shut up. Uh it might be a little harder. That's the only reason I haven't hunted Bankhead yet, man, is they got a low deer density up there. But they got the right deer. They got some good ones up in that up in that giant barren forest. Big forest, get yeah. lost in it. Huge open hardwood forest. But uh anyways, you y'all got anything else on that? Now we're gonna get to the hard one for most people, which is timber. Dun, dun, dun. The hard one unless you're Matthew Reeves. No, no, no. <laughs> no. Any anybody can do it. All right, so let's let's hit that one then. This is the last one we're going to do is just straight timber. No food plots, no nothing. I mean, just straight timber. So, Matt, why don't you give just, us a little rundown on, like, kind of the landscape that you were hunting and then the hunts that went down. Okay, so um, like Jake or like Andrew said, it's just all timber. Um, so what I do when I was looking for these areas, uh, I was new to public land when I first found them. Um, I was just really trying to find that early season bed to feed pattern, and uh, that's what I was going off with. And uh, with any anybody that really hunts 
uh, whitetails, they know that they like white ohecorns. Mm-hmm. And so that's that's one of our big things with uh, my group of guys. What we like to do is if we, if you can find the white oaks, you, you're going to find the deer. You know, it may not be a ton of deer, but some deer are going to come in if they can find that feed tree. Uh, so for me to kind of pinpoint where these deer were going, I'd one, find the white oaks, but I was finding them along alongside a creek. And uh, when you find a creek that's between a bedding area and a feeding area, they've got to cross that creek somewhere. Yeah. So uh, what I just did, I just started walking up and down that creek until I found fresh sign, you know, where they were just wearing it out. And when, when I'd find find that, it was in the bend of a creek that went from a thick, uh, like about a five-year-old cut over to a select pine standing in the middle of that was just a white oak just a little ridge of white oaks it was very overlooked Mm -hmm. you had to walk through a bunch of nasty stuff to find it but when you got there it was dynamite you know that's that's where the deer were that's where they wanted to be they felt safe so i i'd say my first year i sat there saw a bunch of deer saw a bunch of good bucks um my good buddy had a good buck at him right when he got up in the stand you know Mm -hmm. at three o'clock you know just standing there looking at him but uh progressed to this past year uh i went to the same spot opening morning and i had two bucks come in across the creek you know going back to bedding from feeding and uh it was just uh really interesting to see how those deer just keep doing that over and over year after year and uh mm-hmm. i'll be i'll be there again this year uh sitting probably in the same tree if not but really just looking for those food sources with the white oaks if you can find a hot white oak uh, starting off you know that's great but also i had the select pine stand adjacent to these white oaks where i saw multiple does feeding in there eating beauty berry and all other sorts of uh fresh forbs and just any kind of forage that was on the ground they were they were eating and yeah. and, and they could bed in it too you know it had grown another three foot since this mm-hmm. past year and they you know they lay up in it in a little shade smz on the edge and be fine and yeah. feel safe and have all the food and water that they want so that's just really kind of if I'd say could say anything to the listener on what to look for is try to find a place where you got to walk through something ugly to get something beautiful, you know. Because <laughs> hey. I mean that's that's I mean it's easier said than done. But some of my best places I ha- I walk through some of the ugliest looking swamps that just have yeah. poplar and sweet gum and nothing for a deer to eat in it. Yeah. But once you hit that that wall, it's like wow. Mm-hmm. And that's yeah, another place I have out there with you that kind of after that early season you know first two weeks they start eating up those white oaks that were hot well they're they're going to chestnut acorns next you know swamp chestnuts Mm -hmm. and that's a that's a bigger acorn than your uh white oaks and they eat them after those are gone and um that's that was my next transition to where i found those deer so just just with hunting timber you got to know what those deer are jumping from you know which acorn trees hot you know if it's a white oak chestnut cherry bark oak water oak you know and, and so forth not all if you get up into arkansas and mississippi yeah. um just just know your knowledge of tree species can really benefit you as being a woodsman and a deer hunter yeah that's something we like to talk about a lot is like plant id just knowing your stuff in the woods will help you a lot it will because you might pick up on little cues like like what you're talking about though like most most deer hunters especially public land guys are going to know what a white oak is but they might not know what like a cherry bark oak is mm-hmm. or like the swamp chestnut oak or anything like that yeah and those are things that you can cue in on 
when you're walking into your white oak spot or you're scouting around there, you can be like, okay, here's this kind of oak. This will probably drop a little bit later than the white oak. So maybe when this dries up, I can hop over here and see what it's looking yeah. like. You're kind of building that database, so to speak, in your head. Uh, it helps when you're a forester too, right? Yeah, just a little <laughs> bit. Uh, and I'll give you all a little tip if you don't know your difference between a white oak and your swamp chestnut trees. If you look at both of them with any, without any leaves on them, you're mm-hmm. going to say they're the same exact tree because their bark is just that flaky white looking bark but yeah. uh if they have leaves on them look up at the tree and uh a, a white oak is really lobed has a lot of lobes in it but if you look up at a swamp chestnut it's more of kind of like a oval shape with serration the big serrations on the yeah. ends and also if you can find an acorn on the ground there mm-hmm. your swamp chestnuts are going to be a lot a lot bigger yeah. so but this is this was all in alabama and uh recently i moved to florida so i'm kind of trying to going to test my knowledge yeah. to try to find white oaks and i actually i have i found two places with some really good white oak white oaks and i haven't found any swamp chestnuts though but i'm uh, going to try to tr- try my hand at that yeah and uh, see see if the same tactics will work you know with with florida i don't think there's not as many white oaks you know just because of the soil but uh i found the right topography and the right dips and uh mm-hmm. hopefully it'll work out with that yeah You've been sending me pictures all summer of some stuff that I thought looked pretty good. So yeah, had a bunch of hogs on. A lot of hogs on. Go get get you some bacon, man. Yeah, that'd be fun. Uh, I one thing I've noticed that all three of us have kind of mentioned about this stuff is the fact that we're kind of keying in, uh, of course, on a food source, but also bedding a little bit. So you're talking about five year old cutover, select mm-hmm. cut pines, all this kind of stuff where you got good underbrush and just good cover to hide a deer. Yep. So. And uh, and I also like what you said about walking through something ugly to get to the good spot because me and you have this one area that both of us were kind of messing around with last year, um, which last year is when we really started hunting together and everything. Yeah. And you took me to one of your spots in there in that area, and, I mean, it was exactly what you were just talking about. It's all, like, sweet gum, just trashy looking, nothing for a deer in there, like little cane breaks mm-hmm. all over the yeah. place, tons of hog sign. Uh, and then you get back to this one spot, and – all of a sudden you had a little bit of good bedding cover, um, which, I mean, it wasn't big at all from my perspective. I mean, there wasn't much bedding at all. No, there, there was one little pine thicket, which later in the season I went in there to hunt, and there were two bucks uh, standing over two different scrapes. Oh, yeah. and they But they, they busted out. But. Yeah. I mean, and also another thing with that is, I mean, this is like pretty monotonous hardwoods, and you found those pines – and you found that transition, like that habitat edge mm-hmm. that goes from pines to hardwoods. And, like, deer, they're creatures of edge, so they're paying attention to that kind of stuff. Yeah, and then when I hunted it, that's all those does came out of that, mm-hmm. kind of the sweet gum, which, I mean, it was, what, six foot tall? But yeah. they were they were protected and hidden. They felt hidden, mm-hmm. and they could look, you could look out of it, but you couldn't look into it. Yeah. And that's that was really key with those deer. And, and I had that big buck on camera, mm-hmm. and in the, in the daylight. But oh, every yeah. time I went in to hunt him, he was gone. Way early in the daylight. He, he knew, yeah. he smelt me, saw me, something. So that's another thing with your access points on yeah. some of this with hunting your hardwood just to figure out where these deer mm-hmm. are staging, how they're moving. Yeah, and that's a good point. One thing about that sweet gum thicket is that it's like in the swamp, and I get there's I think there's pines right there. There's something right there, some other kind of timber right there. Uh, and it had all these sweet gums underneath it, and it was nice and thick. And it was pretty good bedding. Like, we saw deer in it. That buck yeah. was coming out of it, I mean, well before dark. 
I yeah. mean, yeah, twelve o'clock, three o'clock, four o'clock. Yeah, you name it. I mean, after season started too. I yeah. mean, it was. I thought for sure you were about to kill that deer. Um, but then later in the year, I mean, talking like late winter, I went back in there hog hunting. I was walking past that stuff to get farther in to see if I could mm-hmm. find a hog. And that sweet gum thicket, I mean, you could see all the way through it to yeah. the other side because, I mean, the leaves had dropped. And that kind of goes back to that seasonal bedding thing that we've talked about on here lately a few times where last year I had a camera in a spot, kind of hardwoods like that, and there was a down tree in it with briars growing over it, and there's a bed on it. I mean, down to dirt bed. We put a camera on it, which our listeners probably already heard me say this, but put a camera on it uh, in, like, late summer and left it till November and we had three different bucks and a couple different does using it all year until the leaves dropped. And then there was a not, a, not another deer passed in front of that camera for yep. like three months. Yep, that's what happened to me in that spot. You know, I kept a camera out there, and he disappeared when the leaves came off. Yeah. But I actually ended up sneaking back there, and I killed a hog and a, and a deer on yeah. kind of a still hunt mm-hmm. kind of thing. But the buck, that big buck left when the leaves, when the leaves dropped. Yeah, yeah, so he's, he's that, and that's, also for this year, that could tell you, like, he might be sitting in that gum thicket right now. I'm gonna, I gotta, I have to find a different access point to yeah. kill him. I'm there's, just, there's another access point, but buddy, two, it two is, miles, is a you know? long, well, you need to borrow my bike. Yeah, get to pedaling. <laughs> yeah, I mean, yeah, I mean, Timberland is, uh, it can be challenging, I mean, because I grew up mostly hunting just Timberland <laughs> stuff, and it... I mean, it can definitely be hard, and for me, it's difficult because it's hard for me to figure out where the bedding is. Well, a big thing that I've when I when I was a young hunter, and I still am a young hunter, I was used to hunting a lot of topography, a lot of rolling hills. Mm-hmm. Well, when you get where we were, it's just it's flat woods. Yeah, and especially like some of my private land back home, it's flat woods. So what? Where's my pinch point? You know, yeah. I it's you're basically just having to set up on a trail and say, hey, I hope they come come mm-hmm. here you know nothing's really funneling those deer unless you had a big terrain feature as a timber change you know those edges like you oh, said yeah. before yeah that's a hard place to hunt man that's a place where you could totally do uh richard fott's method of like hunting feed trees which jacob's all yeah. about that man I, I there was actually one right beside where i climbed last year and i, I have videos of does just get those big just mouthfuls of those chestnut oaks yeah. in their mouth just trying to swallow it down i'm waiting for one to choke to death and you know <laughs> i have to explain how i killed a deer without shooting it um but yeah that there's that's definitely a great tactic to use with those feed trees yeah yeah early season man especially and i think that the farther you get away from ag the more important it is for you to just know your stuff in the woods like know how to not just rubs and scrapes but other kind of deer sign just basic track reading or or maybe even more subtle stuff like i was scouting oh i almost said it the other day the place i was talking about earlier yeah um and uh there's like a downed lot there's no tracks because it was pretty dry and it was like you know water oak magnolia kind of stuff and so mm-hmm. there's just leaves everywhere no tracks but there's a log and I could see where on this log, the hooves of the deer kept hitting this one spot and scratching it. And so I was like, that's slick right there. Yeah, I see that, that. yeah not many people see that. Yeah, so it's stuff like that. Like, you just got to learn how to key in on the real subtle things and also learn you know, learn your plant species. Um, but, yeah, I mean, it's really something that has to be learned through error, like most things in hunting. You just have to go out there and screw yeah. it up. Jacob, you're being awful quiet. Yeah, I was going to say, you know, we are talking early season for everyone listening right now. You know, in early season in big woods is very true just because 
some feed trees, whether it's, you know, soft mass, you're talking persimmons or anything like that, or you're talking, again, anything that's having to do with any kind of oaks or acorns, you know, it's tricky. It is absolutely tricky hunting big woods. Uh, definitely ag is 10 times probably more easier to hunt early season because of that. But, you know, it's one thing I feel like if someone can get confident with the area and really understand how deer are using uh, that area in the summertime and early season, I think you could have a lot of success. And one thing, Matt, you talked about that I think is kind of important for us to touch on is this creek crossings. Um, I, I, I hire I, – Jesus, I got real country here. I, I hear a lot of people talking. I about, heard. You, you heard that over there. I said, <laughs> yeah. uh, But you hear a lot of people talk about creek crossings. And in areas like where y'all are hunting where it's real flat land, I feel creek crossings could be extremely successful, especially if you can find one that has – you know, thick cover either on both sides that those deer can be coming to or from, you know, food source close by as well. This is a bonus. Uh, and there's also fantastic places to put a, tr- a, a camera out and get inventory of what's going on in that area. Um, you so you, you, know, you said it right fantastic. there with and the I camera. Know, Matt, you had a lot of success with those creek crossings early season. I actually put a camera up on that uh, creek crossing. Had two, two good bucks. Uh, one of the ones I saw opening morning – and then I had this smart idea that I was going to get real aggressive and cross the creek for that afternoon hunt. <laughs> I and, remember uh, that. <laughs> they were gone. Yep. They they just bedded, I mean, literally 40 yards on the inside of that creek. And yeah. If, I, if I'd have set up on the where I was that morning, they'd have came. And I'd oh, yeah. They're hopefully close. had a shot. Yeah. Jacob, what were you trying to say? No, I was going to say, I mean, pretty much this, I think creek crossings in big timber can be a fantastic place to focus on. I'm talking earlier season whether it's september or you're talking you know early october or wherever the situation arrives you know any kind of creek crossing like that is going to be a fantastic spot just to kind of get not only inventory on cameras but also i mean be able to sit there and have some deer come by you especially if you have good bedding cover close by you know i wouldn't want to sit on a creek crossing in wide open hardwoods uh you know when the nearest you know you know down trees or thicket whatever the situation is is three four hundred yards but, you know, that's something that I think a lot of guys can kind of go out there and really scout. And, I mean, even this time of the year, shoot, if someone wants to put a camera out or whatever, that's a great place to kind of check out and really just see what's coming in through those areas. Yeah. Yeah, man. I agree with that. Y'all y'all got anything else on uh, on Big Timber? I think that about wraps it up. Yeah. For that for that topic. I mean, yeah. said about all we could, find your oaks or, you know, whatever they're eating and and sit there and wait yeah i mean that's about that's about all you can do i mean besides you know when you're tying it back into bedding you can do the the whole bedding thing push real close to bedding Uh, and i guess early season's a good time to kind of try that because you got a whole lot of time to make up for it if you screw them up yeah those those deer that i actually pushed out came back like the next week yeah one morning yeah and i mean that's what we're talking about man is these deer if you bust them it's not the end of the world if you go in there and bust them every week it, they might yeah, do something, but you know, if you're just bu- blowing deer out here and there, I don't think it you're ever gonna really, you know, really screw it up. Yeah, they might change a little bit, but yeah, I mean, dude, I know that uh, Matt's got to drive to Florida in a couple of hours, right? Uh, yeah, about four o'clock in the morning. I'll be okay. <laughs> yeah, so I guess we'll uh, we'll wrap this uh, this this one up, fellas. Um, thanks everybody for listening. Uh, you can find. Our stuff, of course, on YouTube and 
iTunes and all these other places. Anywhere quality podcasts can be found. It's always free. Tell your buddies about it. We'd appreciate it. Leave us a review. Matt, where we can uh, where can people find your stuff? You can find me on Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube. So, uh, real easy. Just Southern Pursuit, and we should pop up on your uh, on your search bar. Yeah, Matt's got some pretty sweet videos out. But uh, anyways, thanks everybody for listening. All right, everybody, that wraps up the uh, early season deer talk, and now we are going to talk doves because me and Jacob just had an amazing dove shoot, and uh, this is going to sound a lot different because we had to jerry-rig this call set up because my internet is not working correctly. So, uh, Jacob, how'd you do on this dove hunt? How'd you like it? Yeah, it, it was fantastic. You know, this is my first dove hunt. I've been on where I've actually limited out, uh, you know, it was just a really freaking cool experience. You know, going out there with a bunch of guys that you have no idea who these people are on public land, going out there and just having a freaking good time and freaking killing a limit was awesome, dude. I mean, really, really awesome experience. Yeah, it was a lot of fun. That was the best public shoot I've ever been on. Uh, there's probably, how many people would you say were there on at the height of the shoot? I'd say at least 25. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and, and it was a pretty big field. I don't know the actual area of the field actually i could probably measure that real quick but it was a i mean it's a pretty sizable field and to have 20 to 25 guys was actually really awesome because it kept birds up in the air you know you're kind of pinging them off each other if you let them drop into the field correctly um but yeah it was a, it was a great time dude birds are moving for pretty much the whole afternoon there's a few like big shootouts where i mean dude you're just getting flooded with doves everywhere uh it was a great time man but so we're gonna dive into dove tactics a little bit here um because if you haven't dove hunted you probably don't know any of this stuff and if you also if you haven't dove hunted you should probably start because it's a lot of fun uh but jacob you've been on some shoots like on your family farm maybe some smaller shoots and everything um what would you say that you might have like learned from this shoot that you didn't really pick up on before yeah so the, the biggest thing was you know, previously when I was hunting on some private land and just really dove hunting in general, not being an experienced wing shooter by no means, and I was like what they call sky blasting, where I'd be shooting at that, you know, doves way too high up or way too far away. I mean, I, now after hunting this weekend and now thinking about back then, I mean, I was probably taking shots on birds that were 60, 80 yards away, which, I mean, good luck on hitting those and killing those birds. I mean, this is most likely just not going to happen, especially from a someone that's extremely um, unskilled as a wing shooter. So the biggest thing I learned was, like, just let them get close. I mean, let them get 35 yards and in, you know, sub-35 yards and just take your shot. And another thing I learned after kind of, like, seeing everybody around the field, because there's a lot of guys standing around the edge of the field. It's a pretty big field. Some of them were in the direct sunlight. And, you know, one thing I was trying to do is, like, stay in the shade for two reasons. One reason because it's hot as hell, and I want to get in the shade and get out of the sun. Two, you can hide in the shadows a little bit better of like some of these smaller trees and get tucked up in these small pines. And when the birds come over, I mean, you can let them suck all the way into you. I mean, get in 15, 20 yards and pop out and shoot real quick and, and kill them. And that's how I killed a lot of the birds was just doing that. Where you see a lot of guys, they'd be standing on the edge of the field and the birds would see them and, fl- and you know, you know, they'd flare off left, right, up, down, whatever the situation was. And it wouldn't give a guy as good of a shot opportunity as if they like suck back into the timber a touch. Oh yeah, so. dude. Yeah. Like, so again, now this is dove hunting, so don't overthink it. Um, for anybody out there, like it's, it's very simple. Uh, it's not the hardest thing to do in the world, especially if you have enough birds. Like if you have a ton of birds, you got a lot of room for error, but 
if you don't have like a ton of birds to mess with, uh, or maybe you're hunting like a field with a lot of people, which does have it, its advantages, but you know, there's a certain amount of birds that are, that are going to fly into that field. And at the end of the day, you are trying to kill more than the other guys. You know, you're trying to get your limit. They're trying to get theirs. Uh, so there's like a limited resource there. And if you're on a shoot like that and you're wanting to get your limit really bad, or you're just wanting to have a good shoot and kill more doves, you got to do some things a little bit differently and, and think about things differently, I think. Um, which I've been dove hunting my whole life, man. I mean, since I was a little kid. And uh, this was definitely one of the better shoots, but I would say I've definitely learned some things over the year and they match up pretty dang closely to what you were just talking about. Uh, letting them get close, you know, staying kind of concealed with them and everything. Uh, so to start off, the field that we were hunting is four acres, okay, and it's about 80 yards wide. Um, we were sitting kind of in a corner of it where these birds were kind of flying down this power line and then turning off the power line and coming into the field through that corner. So we were, you know, hitting that travel corridor, uh, just like just like deer hunting, man. Just like deer hunting. So we're hitting that travel corridor, and they're flying right through this gap in the trees right there, and, and we were wearing them out. But uh, there was a lot of doves that were kind of swooping in through the middle of the field as well, like Jacob was talking about. And, you know, whether it's public or private on a dove shoot, you're usually going to have your sky blasters. There's always going to be some sky blasters. Uh, and I, I don't think people realize, like, how far away doves actually are when they're shooting at them. Because I just I was just looking at the map of where these guys were sitting and where they were shooting to, and ground length it's seventy two yards. Uh, when you're angled up into the air, you know, like if you ever did triangle math in school, you know the the hypotenuse of the triangle is the longest line on the triangle. So they're probably shooting close to like eighty plus yards at these doves. And that's a long shot, especially if you're shooting a twenty gauge. But even with a twelve gauge, man. 80 yards to kill a dove, you have to lead them pretty dang far to even catch a piece of them, right? Yeah, and then also have enough energy to kill them and just have enough pellets to actually hit the bird. But, uh, yeah, it's, yeah, I mean, that used to be me, so, I mean, I understand. But, you know, I saw one, I saw there was a kid out, well, I call him a kid. I don't know. He probably was a teenager or whatever. And uh, they were looking for a bird in the middle of the field, and, uh, and two birds flew over on the north side of the field down in the, like, in that, those short pines okay mm-hmm. and it, they were probably in the pines 45 yards okay so this kid taking shots that are easily 70 yards at these freaking birds flying in these short pines i'm like hey, if you killed that bird you're not going to find it you're, <laughs> you're not gonna find it yeah. i'm like why even shoot at him i mean he never hit him but i was like come on dude like come like come on think about that yeah but uh it was pretty bad but, i mean thankfully there's enough birds that i mean we got me and you both hit our limits uh and like i said andrew martin who's also there he killed about 12 uh so that's good but there's a lot of other guys in the field that didn't get close to a limit um not even close yeah yeah and i i mean i hate to like point fingers but it's it's because of the sky blasting man i'm telling you uh when you don't give those birds a chance to get into the field you're just not going to kill as many straight up when you give them a chance to drop into the field even if you miss it, you know, he'll ping off you and he'll fly somewhere else and someone else will get a, a good opportunity to kill that bird. Uh, so, I mean, dove hunting is very much a team effort, dude. Like you were saying uh, earlier before we were recording this, um, like a dove shoot is as good as the people who are willing to call out the birds. Yeah, that, that's that's key. And that's one thing 
you know, growing up, we were always really good about that because it would always be me and my uncles, my brothers, and a couple couple of their buddies would come out for the hunt. And we still never had enough hunters. I mean, we, we probably needed another 10 hunters to really make it work efficiently. But, um, you know, we were always very good about calling out, you know, birds high, you know, high, you know, high bird, low bird. You know, they're coming from north, south, east, west, which way they're coming from, just so guys can have an understanding. And not to say, hey, they're coming over the top of your head, unless you know everybody's name and you're like, hey, Michael, over the top of your head or come from behind you or whatever. But when you're in a public place like this and you don't know everybody, you just got you got to call out directions and just hope to God people understand freaking which way the sun's setting and they can figure out which way is north, south, east, and west. Yeah. Because I was like, dude, there was birds piling in from the southwest corner. And I was like, dude, southwest. I was like, birds coming to the southwest corner. And guys are looking around like, what the hell is he talking about? And they're coming right over the top of their heads. I'm like, come on, dude. Yeah. Shoot. Yeah, it's, it's like you build like dove field lingo with all these strangers as you're yelling across the field at them. We'll be like, coming through the gap. There's like a big gap in the pine trees. And finally, those guys started catching on. I mean, like, oh, that yeah. means that they're coming from behind me because I didn't know their names. Uh, but man, it was, a he- it was a heck of a good shoot. Another thing is like low birds. Uh, here's another. We're going to like just drive a few random tips about dove hunting. Uh, in case you haven't dove hunted before, man. But Yeah, don't Dick Cheney somebody and shoot on the face. Yeah, so a low bird, if he's below like 45 degrees, you probably shouldn't shoot at it because you might pepper the crap out of somebody on the other side of the field, which I've seen happen multiple times. It's not fun. Uh, so, like, you'll have a bird flying, and he'll be flying low, and if he's coming at you, a good thing to do is that bird's coming at you and let him start to get kind of close. Let him get to within probably like 40 yards and then step out towards that bird to where he sees you plainly and he'll bank and he'll start rising. So that's called spooking him up. So like Martin kept yelling that at us, man. He's like, spook him up, spook him up. And you just step out and that bird is going to do one of two things. He's either going to rise and try and go way over your head and that just gives you the easiest shot in the world when they're coming right at you. I mean, that's a very easy shot to take on a dove. Or they're going to bank left or right and go to someone else, and someone else has a good opportunity to get them. So uh, that's a that's a good little tip. But, man, I think the main thing that helped us was just kind of staying concealed. So this is, like, I think a little bit of a misnomer um, with dove hunting because it's such, like, a leisurely activity. It's, it's such, like, a social, very um, – unstressful activity it's not like deer hunting where every part of it is like detailed and you gotta like really be paying attention to what you're doing like dove hunting's a lot looser but there are some things that you can do to kind of up your odds and one of those is just staying concealed or at least just staying still um and you kind of mentioned that when you were kind of tucked in the shady side of the field um have you talked about that yet Uh, i'm not sure but i mean i can kind of go over you know just Staying on that state, that shady side, for two reasons. One side, one's that you know, stay cool. The other one, you know, you're gonna be a little more concealed, but stay tucked up. And, you know, three quarters of this field was surrounded by you know, twelve foot, fifteen foot, twenty foot pines, and you can tuck up next to them very easily. And I was just wearing a brown shirt and uh, uh, some some brown camo pants, and I got tucked up against those pines and those birds which come down that field edge and come right towards me. And, dude, I mean, right when they're at 25, 30 yards, I'd step out with a gun up. And, I mean, they just, like, they almost, like, pause for a hot second. And they're like, what? And they go to turn, and you shoot them, like, this fall right there in your lap. 
which is awesome. Um, <laughs> but yeah, dude, like Saint can see like a huge, like all those guys that were on like the, uh, the South side of the field were just like out in the sun. And I felt bad for them for two reasons. One, they're freaking cooking the deaths. Second, I mean, they're sitting out there like sore thumbs. Plus another thing is a lot of guys, I don't think realize birds, you know, have a really good, uh, really good vision. And guys would be over there with their sunglasses and they'd look my direction and you could see a, a really sharp glare coming off their face from that sunglasses. And if you'd watch the birds, the birds would like absolutely stay away from, there's like three or four guys over there and they would totally bank away from them and wouldn't get close to them. And I was really wondering if that also played a part with these guys wearing their sunglasses like that and, uh, you know, just having that sun in their face and just reflecting off their sunglasses. But that goes into the gear list of like what you need. You need a good pair of sunglasses for dove hunting because it's amazing. Not only, you know, of course, just your vision and everything. Also, you, you want definitely want protection on your face in case you get peppered in the face, for one. <laughs> also, in the sky, you'd be surprised on how easy, how much easier it is to pick birds out in the air with a good pair of polarized sunglasses than just your regular vision. Because yeah. I kept taking my sunglasses off every now and then just to kind of look around. I put them back on, I'm like, oh, wow, you, you can see the birds so much easier, especially at distance. Oh, yeah. Uh, so that's, that's a big part, too. Now, I've realized that if there's any, like, hardcore deer hunters on here who don't do anything but deer hunt, uh, they might not know what getting peppered is. Uh, maybe we should explain <laughs> what what a good peppering is. Uh, well, hopefully it's at a far enough distance that it bounce off you. Uh, <laughs> uh, it's just when you get freaking shit, you know, you get freaking lead rained down on you from a dove hunt. Um, I've had it happen probably just once or twice on private land. It's just like shooting up at like a, at a pretty steep angle and just having it come down top of you. It's not a big deal. But the, the scary one is when you're like hunting and someone within like a hundred yards of you shoots a low bird and it like comes flying right at you. It hits you like in the chest and the shirt or whatever. And it, you know, it's not, it's, I don't think it's going to penetrate really, but it's yeah. not going to feel great by no means. Yeah. I've been um, peppered many times, many times, like just regular. Get, I've never been like shot on a low bird. But a buddy of mine has, uh, which I don't know the distance. It was maybe 120 yards or so. And, yeah, someone shot, I mean, shot at a low bird like, like you're not supposed to do. And, I mean, my buddy, he caught every bit of that load, man. It didn't break the skin or anything, but it stung. You know, that's something you got to watch out for. So that's what getting peppered means. So that's a, something to be mindful of on a dove field. Um, not a big deal at all, really. I mean – you, you're going to get peppered on a dove field. It doesn't hurt. I mean, you might just catch a little number seven in the shoulder. Yeah. It, might, it just bounces but, off of you. But that's the importance of really do, or re- really having some good glasses just because of that. Because you do want to protect your eyes. And, you know, oh, you yeah. are looking up in the air when they're shooting and stuff. You could have, you know, pellets rain down you. And also, I'm a guy, you know, I love wearing a hat too, keeping that hat low. I mean, just for, you know, this extra reason like that, trying to keep, if there is any freaking leg coming down, that's kind of keeping it off my face. Um, but also just the sun and everything else, you know, for the hat. Yeah. But the dude, I tell you another thing is, is just leading the birds. It's amazing how much a lead will change depending on how quickly that bird is moving or how slowly that bird is moving. Mm-hmm. So a lot of times if they're just cruising through, they're not very wary. I mean, if they're within thirty yards, you pretty much just put it like right on their freaking beak and like they're dead. But yeah, like yeah. if they're like booking it all, then you're like, oh crap, I gotta you know I gotta leave them, you know, three, two feet, three feet, whatever the situation may be. Just depending on the situation and also the angle, the shot angle you have on the bird. So. Yeah. Yeah. If a bird is like really hauling coming through, uh, 
it's hard to shoot in front of them. I'll put it that way. I mean, like, you 90% of the time on, like, a passing bird, which is that hard shot we're talking about, um, you're shooting behind them 90% of the time that you miss them. I mean, it, it, it's – you'd be surprised at how far you can put it off their nose and still shoot behind them. So, that's something to be mindful of. But that's why we like having them get in close like we were talking about earlier. Like, you know, if you got, like, a fence post – or like a little pine tree, or just anything that a dove is used to seeing. Like I've I've done like fence posts that are not nearly as big as I am, but you know just stand up against that thing and just hold completely still until I get close, and then pop out and shoot them. So, I mean that's what I was doing. I wasn't in the shade like you were. I was down in the corner, and I was in the shade of this single pine tree. And what I do is I would just you know back up into the pine tree and uh, let the bird kind of get past me a little bit and then pull and shoot um which actually worked really well and you know they start getting in real close and the closer birds are really kind of easier to hit uh because they're they're coming in kind of lower they're coming in slower and they're just right there and you know at 30 yards you know i'm shooting a 20 gauge seven shot um improved cylinder i mean i'm throwing a great pattern to kill a bird at 30 yards so yeah, I mean, that that worked out really well for me. It's just staying still. You know, you, you really don't need camo for a dove hunt, but you do need to be mindful of what the birds can see and when they're coming in, you know, how your movement is going to look to them. And just like if you were a dove, would you want to fly towards that thing that's like waving that big stick around? I mean, it's really as simple as that, just kind of setting still, laying low, and letting them get to where you can kill them. Um, yeah. You just got to be patient with them, just like everything else. And, you know, that could be the difference between killing five birds and killing 15 birds, you know? Uh, uh, for sure. I mean, to be honest, you don't have to be a great shot if you get put in the right situation and you just let those birds get close enough. I mean, that's kind of how I was. I was letting birds get close enough that, dude, I was able to make shots that, you know, just was like second nature. It's almost like me when I shoot that longbow. Like, if I'm, like, at a close range, it's like I don't even really have to think about it a whole bunch. And it's kind of the same thing with that with the uh with the doves it's like dude if you let them get close enough for me at least and everybody's different you let them get close enough it's just like dude just swing the gun and just stay fluid with your motion and just squeeze the trigger off there and it's like they just fall uh now i'll tell you another thing that i've, I've wondered about because my uncles have always told me but i've never actually seen it done it's like how you pop their heads off if they're like if they're still alive it's just kind of brutal for everybody out there that doesn't dove hunt <laughs> But like, if you have a wounded bird, and it's like, dude, I had chased one down like a freaking rabbit in the in the briars, and that was I almost just hit it with the freaking butt of my gun uh, to try to get it to stop. But uh, anyways, but you know, you gotta dispatch them, and it's a lot easier than I thought it was. I remember growing up, dude, trying to pull a head off a dove and kind of traumatized because I couldn't get it to come off. <laughs> oh, <God. laughs> yeah, yeah. But, uh, what's what's the motion, Andrew? How do you how do you pop one off? So, basically, when you're going to dispatch a dove, uh, and it's alive, you walk up to it, and what I usually do is just grab it, I mean, grab it by the head, you know, uh, like, you got its head in, like, between your fingers, and you just whip it around real quick, like, whirl it around, kind of like you're wringing its neck, and it's either going to break its neck and kill it, or it's going to pop the head right off and kill it instantly, which is, uh, you know, it sounds brutal, but at the end of the day, you're trying to dispatch it as fast as possible end whatever pain it's having and just get it over with so you know you can just walk up and pop its head right off and boom it's it's done over with it's not gonna be flopping in your bag um pretty great way to do it to be honest with you 
Yeah, to be honest, yeah, and like, it's a surprisingly easy. Like, it almost scared me the first time I did it. I was like, oh, that was like too easy. <laughs> like, I, I feel too powerful right now. <laughs> I'm a monster. <laughs> I'm like, dude, like, it is like, it's like, it's, when you do it, you're like, oh my god, it takes like no effort at all to like pop an animal's head. I'm like, uh, it was weird. It was, it just really was because I've never done that before. I was the kind of guy like, it, this sounds even, this just sounds way worse, oh, but god. like, I, I wasn't comfortable like trying to get the head off, especially when I was younger. So I just like put the butt of my gun on its head or my foot on its head and just like crush it. Jesus. Which, which is like way worse in my opinion. Oh yeah. If I was a dove, I'd want someone to just pop my head off in a quarter second and get it over with. Yeah, so, yeah, yeah. ouch. How did the conversation get there? <laughs> I don't know. I mean, it's part of dove hunting, you know. Uh, man, it's, it's a lot of fun. I mean, uh, dude, man, uh, small game hunting, that's how I got into hunting, man. I, I love it. And if anybody's got a kid out there, which I don't have kids, so take it with a grain of salt, but, you know, me and a lot of the people I grew up around didn't get into hunting via deer hunting, you know. Um, deer hunting is what most of us really love and it like really drives us to get out in the woods all year but these little small game hunts where you can cut up with your buddies and it's real social and easy to do and not stressful and you can be loud and you can move around a lot and there's a lot of action I mean man that's a heck of a good way to get a kid involved in my opinion I mean I remember deer hunting as a kid. I did not like deer hunting when I was little. And, you know, I'm I'm mainly talking about maybe younger kids or something. Or, like, maybe, maybe like, if you have, let's say, like, a 6-year-old to, like, a 12-year-old, I would say. Like, real fidgety, wants to have some action. Like, that's the age where I really didn't like deer hunting. I didn't really start liking deer hunting until I was about 12. Uh, and that's when I kind of started getting into it. I guess because, like... I guess as a kid gets older, you can, like, I don't know, like, you're smarter and you can think about things more, like, you can critically think better, I guess, and, and so deer hunting is, like, more fun to you because it's more of a challenge or, or something like that, but it's like, man, eight-year-old kid just wanting to go out and have some dang fun, dove shoot is a heck of a way to do it, wouldn't you agree? Oh, yeah, for sure, dude. I mean, it's a fun time. It's, 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 it's really a fun time when everybody can just have uh, just kind of relax with it. I mean, just do what you want to do. You know, if you want to take it super seriously and try to kill a bunch of birds, then great. If you just want to go out there and, you know, just have a good time, then, then you can do it as well. It's it's very – it can be very relaxful, and I really enjoy that. Other than, like, this the freaking brutal heat, you know, yeah, the sun, you know, it's, it's always a bonus. But it, it was a blast. I, I tell you, it was addicting. I, I told you that uh, this morning. I, I literally could not go to sleep last night because I kept imagining the different situations we had on the field and, like, how I would have done something differently or, like, killed his birds and this and that. And it was like I came back and I could not go to sleep. I was so pumped up from that hunt, man. It was crazy. And I was like, that was the most fun I've had on a, just a hunt in general in a super long time. Yeah, like it was just an absolute blast. I mean, and dude, I, no joke, I, I fell asleep last night and absolutely and, and dreamed about dove hunting, which sounds stupid, and I never thought I'd ever say it in my entire life. But I just <laughs> had so much fun, dude. It's like all I could think about yesterday. Yeah, dude, I I talk to people about this kind of stuff all the time, and I'm like, deer hunting to me is like I enjoy going out to deer hunt. Like it's fun. It it gives me something to look forward to. It's like a great challenge, but it's like the process of like deer hunting. It, it's not it's like a different kind of fun i would say 
Uh, I'm not going to say it's not fun, but it's it's a different kind of fun. It's like a stressful fun, like trying to get figure out a puzzle or something like that. Um, but then to me, like the draw of deer hunting is when you get the deer at the end and it's like it all comes together. You have like this rush, like huge adrenaline rush that finally came together. And it's like a bigger payout where with a small game, it's just more fun like while you're doing it. You know, when I kill a squirrel, I'm not like freaking out going all over the place, but going out and hunting the squirrel and that process is a lot more fun to me than like the process of deer hunting, like going and sitting still for four and a half hours at a time. Uh, so it's like two different kinds of fun. They both have their place and I wouldn't necessarily pick one over the other. I don't think, uh, like I, I wouldn't give up deer hunting for squirrel hunting and I wouldn't give up squirrel hunting for deer hunting. I don't think. Yeah, well, and I think it's also, like, I feel like small game hunting is very much, like, instant gratification. Oh, yeah. Uh, you're going out there, and you're having a lot of opportunities at a lot of animals, hopefully. Um, and it's just, like, I don't know. It's just it's just more of a, it's not necessarily, like, that, that one animal is what makes it fun or special. Like, like, you know, killing a deer, that one deer is, like, what really makes it all worth it. Mm-hmm. But when you're dove hunting or, or squirrel hunting or rabbit hunting, it's not like that. Like that one dove made it all worth it. It's like just the community effort and like all the whole effort put into it is what really makes the like the adventure. I mean, it all comes down to really just like having fun, going on like again it sounds corny and stupid, but kind of having a little adventure and just having a good time while you're doing it, dude. Um, and that's kind of like how that hunt was. Public land, first time ever doing a dove hunt on public land, and I mean absolutely had a blast had the best time i've ever had on public land to be honest i mean dude it, it was more fun than uh it's been it's, it was more fun than a lot of different hunts man and uh definitely we'll be doing it again for sure no yeah. window but i don't <laughs> know maybe wednesday after work who knows hey man i, w- I would if i were you i wish i had a dove field close enough to me to do that um yeah dude i love the small game it's a it's a heck of a good thing uh, man I would love to do like a little mini series, like bonus episodes on like small game. Like if if you're a listener out there, obviously if you're still listening right now, you probably are interested in small game in some capacity. If you'd be interested in some kind of little mini series, like kind of quick hitters on like small game tips, you know, it could be for you going out small game hunting, or or maybe you're wanting to take a friend out small game hunting. Which again, if you're if you're trying to introduce someone brand new to hunting, you know, adult or child. I mean, man, I would highly suggest doing a small game hunt over a big game hunt for sure, uh, just to start them out at least. Um, so if you'd be interested in something like that, whether it's for yourself or, or maybe you're just wanting to get some tips for uh, you know helping someone else get started, uh, let us know if you'd be interested in that because small game is like, man, I have a deep passion for small game hunting, and I know a lot of really good small game hunters Um that we could talk to and really do something like that. Maybe shorter length episodes, kind of some, some tactical kind of stuff for small game to kind of, like we were talking about earlier, take your, you know, maybe instead of killing five doves, you kill 12, or maybe instead of killing two squirrels, you kill eight or something like that, you know, just to bring those bag limit, the, or bring you closer to a bag limit, you know, something like that, make it a little bit more worth your while to make the drive out to the woods. So if you're interested in that, please let us know. But uh, Jacob, you got anything else on that? Nope, dude. This it's it's fun. Super excited. We're gonna be hunting deer this coming weekend. Uh, so opening day is what the fourteenth, September fourteenth for. Mm-hmm. Yep. For Georgia, twas the Monday so. before deer season. Mm. Yep. 
So, anyways, we're, we're super pumped about that. So, we'll be chasing deer this weekend. So, anybody out there, again, uh, if you're still listening to the podcast, we really do appreciate it. Please like and share the podcast. Like, for re- like really, we we enjoy it when you guys can share it with some buddies and kind of just, uh, you know, help us reach more people with what we're doing with this. You know, if you enjoy it, I'm sure you know someone else that would enjoy it. And we appreciate you sharing it with them. Also, you know, please also, if you really, really do enjoy the podcast, uh, leave us a review, especially if you're listening on iTunes or Apple Podcasts. Uh, it helps us uh, really just be able to reach more people and just, you know, help other people hear what we have going on. Um, so we do appreciate that as well. And also just make sure you're following us on YouTube, Facebook, Instagram, at the Southern Outdoorsman. And uh, it's going to be awesome. So y'all stay tuned. Hey everybody, this is Kyle Veet, host of the Ozark Podcast, a show where we sit down with outdoorsmen of the Ozark Mountains region to talk all things hunting and fishing. Just like the outdoorsmen who live here, we follow the seasons and interview regional experts on everything from bear hunting, to fishing for smallmouth and trout, and discussing big questions like what happened to all the quail in the southeast. If you're enjoying this show, then I know you'll enjoy the Ozark Podcast. You can listen to the show on all podcasting platforms and make sure to subscribe so you don't miss an episode.